Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We started two weeks ago talking about this series called The Quest. We decided last week it's actually three quests, the first of which is what we're calling the quest for honor, and we're saying that that particular quest is going to lead us to a place of courage. What we've said is that for you to live the life that God intended for you to live, for you to to become the person that God intended for you to become, that you were created with intention, that God has something in mind when he made you, there's something he wants you to be. And in order for us to truly live that out to its fullest, what we're going to need along the way is courage. That in order for you to Uh, fulfill your dreams, in order for you to live out your destiny, to discover your purpose, in order for you to fulfill your purpose, you have to have courage. It strikes me that if this quest that we're on is going to be a quest for courage and we have to have that in order to be everything God calls us to be, strikes me that this is a pretty critical journey that we're going to be on. I don't know about you, but when I look at other people, it seems like other people are the ones with courage, right? It seems like they're the ones who kind of exemplify this lack of fear in their life to be able to do those amazing things and, and you know, that, that some of us just weren't given the same amount of courage that others were, that, that lack of fear or whatever. But what you discover when you kind of stand back and look at courage is that courage is really not the absence of fear. Courage is the absence of self. So we talked last week about this virtue of humility, and we said that it is the beginning of this journey that we're on to this place that we want to get to called courage. The interesting thing about humility is that humility is not a very desirable attribute. We admire people with humility but we want to be people of courage. And what we're going to discover this morning is that the journey from humility to courage has to pass through the attribute of integrity. And integrity is a tough sell. Not a lot of people talking about integrity. There are other attributes that might be more beneficial to someone they might think. There's another attribute that someone might want or crave other than integrity. We learn very quickly in life that you can be a person who lacks integrity and still succeed. That you can accomplish extraordinary things without integrity. We have examples of that all around us. People who have accomplished the things that we long to accomplish, and they've done so really without the integrity that we might so often want to take on. In fact, the truth is that oftentimes to choose the life of integrity feels like a liability, very much like we talked about last week with humility, that it seems like the people who, who have humility aren't necessarily the people who win all the time. It sometimes feels like integrity are handcuffs on us to be able to do some of the things that we feel like we should do. It seems like people who don't have integrity oftentimes cut corners and are able to get there faster and quicker than we are and seemingly with no consequences. Seemingly. 
that somehow integrity seems to slow us down to win the race that everybody else is out to win. And yet, what we discover is that without integrity, we will not find within ourselves the resolve or the resilience to overcome the pressures of life. The word integrity is an interesting word. It comes from the root word, I learned it as integer. You may have learned it as integer, which means whole, complete. We all had a, 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 a class in elementary school called math class where they taught us the difference between 6, 7, and 8. And what you learned was that 7 is different than 6 and 8. 6 and 8 can be divided by other numbers. 7 can only be divided by itself. We call that a prime number, a, it's a whole number. that there are certain units that carry this quality that they cannot be divided by anything except themselves. That is really the essence of integrity. And this same concept of integrity is connected to the concept of wholeness because both of them are related to our need for integration in our lives. Have you ever felt that you were disintegrated? That things are not quite connected together the way they need to be connected together? that something is broken or missing inside of your soul, it's easier to see the need for integrity outside of us than it is to see the need of integrity inside of us. Let me illustrate. Have you ever been on a boat that lacked integrity? When I was six or seven years old, my uncle had this old rickety boat that somehow my mom decided it was okay for me to ride in. And we were at the mouth of the Kentucky River where it opens into the Ohio River in a little town called Carrollton, Kentucky. And there's a, that mouth, is, there's a, that's a pretty sizable body of water, especially when you're six or seven years old and the people on the shore look very, very small. And I suddenly became aware as we drifted out in the middle of that body of water that something was wrong. I, I picked up on the fact that my uncle looked concerned, my aunt looked concerned, I looked into the boat, I became concerned because there's water in the boat. And, and you know, they had a life jacket on me and, you know, I, I was probably very safe, but I didn't feel very safe because that boat lacked the integrity that it took to displace water to keep me out of the water and keep me dry. And I felt a very long way from the shore, and I was very afraid. I survived, by the way. If you ever hear that phrase at 40,000 feet in a plane, the integrity of the hull of the aircraft has been compromised, you may as well go ahead and send your last text because you're not going to make it. See, when a plane loses its integrity, it loses its capacity to protect you from the massive pressures that are in the atmosphere at 40,000 feet. And the pressure will cause everything inside the plane to collapse in on itself like an aluminum can and then explode. We can see the need for integrity in the composition of things upon which we depend every single day. We have examples all around us. The lack of integrity in a process at a fertilizer plant in West Texas caused an explosion so powerful that it could be felt 50 miles away 
It would claim 35 lives and it would maim hundreds more and leave some homeless and their lives changed forever. All because of a lack of integrity and process. Because of the lack of integrity of the heart, two young men decide to leave a bomb at the finish line at at the Boston Marathon, killing three, maiming hundreds, changing lives forever. All because of a lack of integrity of heart. All around us we have examples of what happens when integrity is lost, but rarely do we realize that what our souls are often searching for, what is missing is a lack of integration of our soul. There's someone in the Bible where we see their courage, but we we discover that it was really their integrity that resulted in the kind of courage that we see in them. I want to show you from the life of David today, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel Verse uh, chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, might want to get a pen handy, might see a thing or two you want to circle or underline. David, who would become the king of Israel. David, our William Wallace, our Braveheart. David, our Maximus gladiator. Strength and honor. David is Bruce Wayne and Peter Parker and Clark Kent all wrapped up in one king. And one of the curious things about David is that David was an incredibly flawed human being who made terrible mistakes and made horrible choices. I I love that about David. I love the fact that God would call David a man after his own heart. David, this flawed individual, is an example for us of integrity and courage. And you would think, well, how can that be? Well, what you find out, what we know about integrity is that integrity is not about being faultless, it is about being falseless. It isn't about attaining perfection. It's about discovering your intention. Let's go back to a time when David was a young man, probably a teenager, He was shuffled off to the valley to watch the family's collection of sheep. This is not a job for kings or noblemen. And his brothers, who were far more honored and noble in their reputation, they were on the battlefield preparing for a battle against the Philistines. But the Philistines had a secret weapon. It was not a a sword or a spear. It was a, a man named Goliath. And they did something that was not uncommon in that time. They proposed to send out their greatest warrior. They said, let us send out our greatest warrior. You send out your greatest warrior. These two can battle together. And it was not uncommon for armies to do this in this particular time. They would do battle with one another, and whoever won, they basically were fighting for their army. And they said, whichever nation conquers, whichever warrior conquers the other, that nation will have conquered that nation. And, and it seemed like a great idea until they saw Goliath and felt the ground shake underneath their feet. It seemed like a great idea until they saw the shadow of Goliath cast over their very person. And he began to taunt them and he began to mock them because he knew that they were shaking with fear and lacked the integrity to follow through with their values and on their values. David shows up, a shepherd boy, in the wrong place at the wrong time. All he's doing is delivering cheese. Seems like a meaningless task. But as he delivers the cheese, he hears from 
from Goliath these words of taunting coming out of his mouth and he wonders why there's nobody showing up to go at this man who is foul, who is saying nasty things. So he says, who's the one that's going to step up and take on this, this, this warrior? And his brothers are there and they are not stepping up. No one wants to step up. Saul, the leader of the army, is not stepping up. So David says, I'll take care of it. which is really kind of condescending and and convicting. And so his brothers challenged his motives and said, you know, you're just here to butt in. You're just here to pry. You're you're just here because you're curious and you want to know what's going on. You, you, You know, that's the only reason you're here. And David said, no, I just think that somebody should kill him. And so he volunteers and he says this to King Saul, the leader of the army. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. That's his resume. I should go at this giant because I've been tending sheep. That's why I'm qualified to kill giants. Makes perfect sense to me. If you keep following along, it will. When a lion or a bear, he says, came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth which is exactly what we would do, right? We would just go right after that, that animal, right? He goes on. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine, which is not a compliment, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. Now, I have to stop right there and tell you that's got to be one of the worst translations in all of history. Puppies have paws, right? Lions and bears do not have paws, they have claws. So we're going to reinterpret this verse. The Lord who rescued me from the claw of the lion and the claw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David is saying, I've done this before. I've done this when nobody was looking and for no other reason than that I was entrusted with the sheep that my family owned. And so now in this moment, I'm prepared to do something while everyone's watching because of what I've already done when no one was watching. David's resume was prepared when nobody was looking. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you, because we sure won't be. (laughs) You're on your own. Now this story peels beautifully backwards. See, David lets us know that what he did in secret is what would form and inform him and and what he did in public. If you turn one chapter previous to 17, go to 1 Samuel 16 and find verse 6. Right before this story, we see Samuel, the priest, and he's looking for the next king of Israel, the man who would replace Saul. And he's going to anoint the next king, and God sends him to the house of Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. He does not know which of the sons is going to, to emerge as the king of Israel, but he knows that it's going to come from the house of Jesse. So, so he has Jesse parade all of his sons out in front of Samuel, and Samuel is going to pick one of them, the one who would obviously be the, be the king. We pick it up in 
1 Samuel 16, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He was probably tall. He was probably good looking. He was probably, you know, ripped. And I absolutely love this next verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. Now, you would expect a kid that was 4'11 in the ninth grade to like that verse right there. You see, sometimes you see somebody that's tall and good-looking and has it all put together, and you compare him to somebody that's not tall, not strong, not all put together, and you think, well, surely God is going to do something big and mighty and great through the one that seems all put together. But the Lord does not look at these things. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So Jesse has all of his sons, or most of his sons, that came to his mind, all the ones that he thought would be qualified to be the next king of Israel. He has all of them pass by, all these sons who are on this quest for honor, and he passed them all one by one in front of Samuel. And none of them were the right one. But then Samuel asked Jesse a question. Are these all the sons you have? See, the question's very telling. You shouldn't have to ask a father, are these all the sons you have? The father should have brought all the sons out, even if he didn't think they were going to measure up to the standard. They all should have been there. Are these all the sons you have? And Jesse's going, oh yeah, I got, I got one more. Um, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And what he's saying is, well, yeah, there's one more, but you don't need to see him. I have him taking care of sheep. He's not worth much more than that. He, he watches the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. That is very interesting. This is great. Jesse didn't even honor his son to bring him out. And now Samuel says, I'm going to honor your son, and we're not going to sit down until he gets here. This son that wasn't even important enough for you to bring before the Lord, nobody sit down. Everybody on their feet until he gets here. We're going to honor him. Verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features and I'm sure had a great personality. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. I love this. Because so many times we are pulled in and magnetized by this heroic uh, narrative And we, we want our lives to count. I know that inside of each of us, we want our lives to count. We want it to be about more than we perceive. You know, there's probably some point in your life where you've probably prayed to God, God, please tell me there's more to it than this. 
Please tell me that you made me for more. God, I want to be better. I want to excel. I want to, I want to, there's got to be more. In all of us, there is a longing to be chosen by someone, by God. And here we are told that God never chooses by external appearance, that, that God looks at the heart. And that's what guides his choices. Stepping back into this, uh, I don't want you to turn there, but I want to read to you from Psalm um, chapter 78. It refers directly to what we've just read. It says, he, meaning God, God chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. You see, God knew that he could trust David with people because he knew that he could trust David with sheep. And if David would risk his life for a lamb or against a lion or a bear, then he knew that David was the kind of person that he could entrust with power. He knew that David was the kind of person that would take care of people. You took care of sheep? Okay, now you've proven yourself there. Now I, now I know that you can take care of people. He could be trusted with rule. He could be trusted with power. And then it says in verse 72, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. The characteristic and qualifications that God looks for on this quest for honor is a person whose heart is pure toward him and pure toward others. Proverbs says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues but the righteous are bold as a lion. See, when you take care of integrity, you find the unexpected courage that shapes your life. And all the pressure in the world cannot crush your soul. All the pressure in the world cannot crush your spirit. All the pressure in the world cannot crush your dreams. Cannot steal from you your hope, your future, and your life. Your integrity becomes your armor from all the pain and all the hardship and all the suffering of this world. Now remember, everything that God creates, God creates with integrity. It has integrity. Everything that God creates was meant to be integrated. And so you ask yourself, what is the purpose of the integration? I mean, it came from God, he created it. What is the purpose of that integration? And what you find is that everything that has been created, and it's created with integrity, the purpose of that integrity is to create and sustain life. That's why God makes things. So when you think about things like aerosols that we use that affect our ozone, and and, and it it compromises the integrity of our ozone. That's, that's fairly extraordinary. But that doesn't really matter unless life has value. Global warming only matters if life has value. Being green and, and taking care of the environment only matters if life has value. Because if life doesn't matter, let's just pollute everything, let's consume everything, let's destroy everything, and let the entire cosmos go into disarray and become disintegrated. But it was created with integration to create and sustain life. 
Something inside of us knows we're supposed to protect even innocent and unprotected species, right? We know we're supposed to protect the birds and the beetles. The bugs, not the band. We know we're supposed to protect the atmospheres and the oceans, right? We, We know that. Somehow we understand that the entire universe is created with integrity and that we are responsible to take care of what's been entrusted to us to keep it aligned. Have you ever noticed that everything seems to have more integrity than humans? Baboons have more integrity than us. Baboons always act like baboons. They don't act like anything other than a baboon. Orangutans act like orangutans. They do not act like squirrels. Gravity has such integrity. If you're a really horrible person and you jump out of a 10-story building just for fun, you are going to plummet to the earth, hit the ground with a splatter, and die. That's what's going to happen to you, but you are not going to die because you're a horrible person. You're going to die because you were stupid enough to jump out of a 10-story building and challenge gravity. Gravity has integrity. Gravity doesn't care whether you're pretty or not. Gravity does not say, oh, this one's beautiful. I'm going to soften the blow. I'm going to make the impact much less severe so that this one can walk away because this one is beautiful. No. Gravity does not look at some dude that jumps out of a 10-story building and say, man, he's really ripped. We better, we better preserve him. He's really good looking. We're going to take care of him. See, no matter who you are and what you've done, when you jump out of a 10-story building, gravity will always treat you the same because gravity is created with integrity. Because it is reflective of the integrity of God. Because God can be trusted. Because God has integrity. And everything in the cosmos is reflective of that integrity. Strangely, (laughs) except for humans. See, what I'm telling you this morning is that there's not a single antelope or impala or whatever animal you would pick out of the Serengeti who tomorrow morning is going to wake up and say, I'm done being an antelope. I'm going to be a lion tomorrow. I'm not going to be the hunted. I'm going to hunt. Lion prides, be on notice. I'm coming after you tomorrow. You know what the lions are going to say? Delivery. That would be a very short-lived fantasy for the antelope. Everything in the created order lives out its intentions. But humans don't. You, you go to the grocery store and you go into the fruits and vegetables section. And you find these. What are, what are these? See, you're already, you've operated in faith already. You've assumed that when you buy these, you're buying bananas. Really what you're buying are banana peels. Right? You go in and you spend your hard-earned money 
on banana peels. What I'm telling you is that everything that has been created is created with integrity. There may not be banana peels in here. Or there may not be bananas in here. It could be asparagus. It could be a three musketeers. Most likely, though, it's bananas. I'm telling you that inside of this is a banana. I'm very confident of that. But let's have some fun. I need uh, three people who, who like bananas that, I can, that can catch this. Mark's going to get one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot a projectile at Mark. Can you catch one, John? You got it. Here it comes. One more. Good job. Okay. Now, don't open it yet. Don't peel it yet. What you think you have in your hand is a banana, and I'm telling you that in a moment you're going to peel this and there's going to be a banana inside there. So um, why don't you go ahead and why don't you peel the banana? Peel, Peel it back. Okay. What's inside there, Mark? Banana. 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 Okay, see, they're clearly people of faith because all they've done is look at the banana and decided that it is a banana. They have not tasted the banana. You may not like bananas, so you may not want to take a bite. But if you do like bananas, take a bite. I want to make sure that what you have is a banana. 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 Yeah? Banana? You got it? Okay. You can set it aside now. You, I don't know what you're going to do with it. I, I eat it, I guess, if you want it. But See, you've never gone to the grocery store and picked one of these up or a bunch of these up, put them in the cart, and thought to yourself that it was going to be anything other than a banana inside. Why? Because creation Everything is created and intended with integrity so that we know that when you peel one of these, you don't get asparagus, you get a banana. Let's go a little, let's have a little more fun. You go to the grocery store and you plunk down your hard-earned money for a watermelon or do you because what you know you're buying is a watermelon rind right <laughs> Ron's wanting me to th- I can't throw a softball I couldn't even throw I can, there's no way I can throw a watermelon you buy a watermelon rind you assume there's watermelon on the inside now some of you because you've been scarred as a child and because you've been greatly disappointed, you don't even buy these. You buy the ones that have the cellophane where they've already been cut for you, right? So you know you're buying watermelon because you don't trust anybody with anything. But most of us, we go to the grocery store, we buy watermelon, and when you buy a watermelon, how do you buy, what do you do to a watermelon to see if you're going to take it home? You thump it as if to say, I'm taking you home and I'm in charge, Right? You'll do what I say. No, you thump it. What are you listening for? Hollow. So, okay, so I thought this was a pretty intelligent crowd until just now. What you're telling me is you buy something assuming there's nothing on the inside is what you're telling me. Right? Everything is created with integrity. 
Every time you've ever cracked one of these open, you did not find cantaloupe. You did not find a bunny rabbit. What you found inside was what? Watermelon. Let's test it. I feel pretty confident. I'm telling you that everything that has been created has been created with integrity. So if that holds true, (laughs) Braveheart. Braveheart, if that holds true, I should be able to crack this open, and on the inside, we find watermelon, correct? It's watermelon. I could do this over and over and over again, with different fruits and different vegetables, because everything that has been created has integrity. Sadly, except for this squirrely little thing that we call mankind, who has free will. Because they are created as objects of love, created for a relationship with God, created with intention and intelligence. And so we can actually violate our integrity and live a life that we were not created to live. We were created to live in relationship with God and to be enveloped and consumed by his love, to be free and alive because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because Jesus died on the cross for us. See, you were created to live in relationship with others, and you were designed to live in love and by love. The guiding principle behind all creation is love. Look it up. When you look at Jesus and you see him do miracles, every miracle Jesus ever performed had at its core and its motivation loving people. Look at the miracles and read them through the lens of Jesus loving people. That's why he did the miracles. The intention of God is always love. But because our hearts are out of alignment with him, our hearts are out of alignment with each other. And our hearts are out of alignment with the universe. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important thing to God? He said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. No, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor, how? To love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's time to stop living with a divided heart. It's time to stop living with a divided soul, a divided mind. See, what actually happens on this journey of integrity is that we actually feel ourselves divided. Have you ever felt like Certain people didn't really know the real you. Have you ever felt like you were a different person at home than you were at work, than you were at play, than you were at church, or than you were at night? Are are there certain people who just seem to bring out the worst in you? We call them family. (laughs) That's who they are. I'm kidding. 
Does your job seem to bring out the worst in you? You would say, really, I'm not that bad a person, but when I go to work, I just change into a different person. See, the problem is we are not disintegrated this way. We are disintegrated this way. And we create layers to hide from ourselves and from others who we really are at the core. And when there's no pressure, everything's fine. See, we're kind, we're nice people. So we would say, you know, when there's no pressure, I'm kind. When, when there's no pressure, I'm, I'm patient. When I'm getting everything I want, I'm perfectly fine. I, there's no pressure on me, I'm patient. When, when there's no pressure and I'm not in trouble, I am truthful. See, if the pressure's not very strong, we're, we, can, we, can, we can show the world our kindness and our truth and our patience. The problem is this. Have you ever um, dated someone for like three or four months and you would say at the end of that three or four months, they're not who I thought they were? There's someone other than who I thought they were. And, and, and really what you're saying is, I like layer one, not real crazy about layer two. Because pressure happens. Because now all of a sudden, you've got more pressure. What is the pressure? The pressure is now four months of dating. And now I become... Unkind. The pressure is employment. The pressure is life. And now all of a sudden, when I don't get what I want or don't get what I expect, or if I if I run up again, if I get railroaded on the way to some place I need to be and I really need to be there, now all of a sudden I am impatient. And the truth no longer when I get some pressure on me, now all of a sudden Things change because now, no longer am I a person of truth, now I begin to tell what we call white lies, which we really know don't exist, right? And then the pressure gets ramped up some more. See, what you're saying is when, when enough pressure hits to strip away the outer layer, it reveals that you are now unkind until there's so much pressure that for some people, they are not just kind, un- they're not just unkind, they are violent. Now all of a sudden, it's not that people sometimes tell white lies, now you have deception. Now you have people who are not just impatient, they are bitter. And see, when, when it's just the pressure of the outside and what we're showing people is I'm kind and I'm full of truth and I'm patient, you're hiding your core because when the pressure comes, when the pressure cooker comes, what you discover is at your core there are other things in there because you're disintegrated. It reveals our disintegration. Incidentally, let me show you this. Religion concerns itself entirely with creating an outer layer 
that shows people something other than who we really are. And that is why when we come to religion, it leaves us empty and it fills us with guilt and shame. And Jesus came to do something entirely different than that. Jesus came to die on a cross and rose from the dead so that we might come into an integrated life with him so that he does not concern himself so much with the outside. He goes straight to the core and he changes us from the inside out. Jesus prayed, Father, I pray that, that they would be one as we are one. Do you know what he was saying? Father, I pray that they will be connected to you like I am connected to you, and I pray that they will be connected to one another in love. And then and only then will they truly be able to say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I love my neighbor as I love myself. I would ask you the question this morning, do you feel like your heart is out of alignment? Is there something missing in your soul? It's probably because you're not getting this right. If you've never come to Christ and you've always wondered, why don't things line up? You know in your heart things are supposed to line up, but for whatever reason they don't seem to do that. This is why. Because your heart was created for a relationship with God. And as long as you run away from that relationship, you are never going to know the satisfaction and the joy and the integration that your heart, soul, and mind were designed for. So this morning, the question I want to give to you is, what are you waiting for? You know something's wrong. You know it needs to be addressed. I'm not asking you to put on a a mask and be all these things. I'm asking you to give your core to Jesus and let him change you from the inside out. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I give you thanks this morning for not giving up on us when we don't have our core right. You could have easily looked at us with all of the baggage and all of the filth and all of the sin and all of the bitterness and violence and all the things that can often be, oftentimes be found at our core and you could have said, I don't want anything to do with that. But that's not what you said. You said, they need me. And I will die on their behalf and I will live within them and I will begin to change them from the inside out so that they become a new person a person who lives their life with integrity, a person who has the courage to be the person that I've called them to be. So Father, this morning we all confess to you that, that we don't, none of us really have all this figured out. There's work for us to do. We confess to you that many times our core is filthy. We confess to you our need for you. Father, if there's somebody in the room this morning that has never given their life to Jesus, they probably have thought that it was about rules and regulations, and they probably thought it was about a lot of things that weren't weren't necessarily what it's about. It's about 
you coming into their life and just changing everything from the inside out. And you really do the work. And so, Father, this morning, if there's anybody in the room who's been asking those kind of questions, why does my life not make sense? I pray that this morning is the morning that they understand that their life doesn't make sense because they have not aligned it with the one who created them and created them for integrity and integration. So, Father, all of us in the room worship you now. We proclaim our love to you and tell you our need for you. We confess to you that on our own we are nothing. We can't do anything without you. Father, we need you. And finally, this morning, we tell you that we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.